So, wish to welcome uh, everyone here tonight. Um, the guest season has uh, been opening up here in the past few weeks and have people who have been here before and are returning, people who are new here, uh, first time. It's nice to see uh, uh, the spaces starting to fill up again, uh, little by little. Special welcome to Justin's family, who just arrived today for his uh, seminar ordination on Saturday. So, special guests. So this is a path of training um, that we're embarking on here uh, at this monastery uh, and in the Buddhist tradition in general. <clears throat> Uh, different levels of training, different ways of training, uh, depending on our own particular circumstances. Uh, Justin will be taking his Samanera precepts on Saturday, all going well between now and then. Uh, moving on from the Anagarika precepts, uh, adding a basic renunciate precept of not handling money uh, and donning the, the brown robes. Uh, to train for a year, uh, at least, you know, that's the general standard, a year as a, as a novice monk before uh, requesting full ordination. <clears throat> training, there's the training uh, as a fully ordained monk, as fully ordained nuns, uh, and uh, also uh, as sincere lay practitioners, upasakas, uh, who are uh, committed to uh, this practice. So it's, it's important to remember and emphasize this is a training. Um, it's not just a, a set of beliefs that we uh, hold to or, or uh, believe in, I guess, uh, so to speak. Um, but uh, Ajahn Jayasaro often refers to uh, this as, a, as an education system, a system of training what the, what the Buddha has taught. And we're training the mind, training the heart um, in peace, to be peaceful uh, and to be free, uh, free from all the encumbrances that cause us endless difficulty, endless suffering at its extreme, endless dissatisfaction. And to keep in mind that we uh, can train, educate the body, the mind, uh, the heart, uh, to uh, let go of the obstructions that keep us from realizing uh, this inherent uh, potential uh, for complete peace of mind. So keeping in mind, this is, this is a training. It's not just a system of beliefs. Um, that we can espouse and then be free. Uh, the, the heart, the mind has many habits coming forth for all sorts of reasons that, that cause us to get entangled. And the process of uh, the practice is learning how to free ourselves from those obstructions. And the basic paradigm for doing that is uh, 
outlined in the Noble Eightfold Path, of course, which I think most everybody here is familiar with, uh, and is kind of framed in terms of one of those path factors of right effort. And um, I think it's uh, important to kind of refresh our minds as to sort of the general orientation of where right effort steers us. There's, you know, the four aspects of right effort, the first two being um, restraining ourselves uh, from unwholesome action, uh, prevent, uh, you know, or undoing uh, our ways of acting unskillfully uh, and speaking unskillfully, and preventing also from that happening. Uh, so preventing unarisen, unwholesome um, mind states and actions to, uh, from arising and uh, helping to abandon those that have already arisen. <clears throat> First two steps. And then the second two uh, of the right effort training uh, would be to um, uh, develop uh, those wholesome mind states or skillful mind states that uh, haven't yet arisen and to um, maintain those that we have developed or that we have experienced. Uh, so it's kind of a carrot and stick arrangement that we have to train the mind through uh, providing some kinds of boundaries uh, to help stop the flow of habitual patterns that uh, lead us into unskillful ways of uh, acting, unskillful ways of speaking, and even unskillful ways of thinking. So there's the, that's the kind of the stick or the boundaries that we use. Uh, and then there's the carrot or the development of um, skillful, uh, supporting positive qualities uh, that uh, result in uh, setting a stage for the development of this unshakable peace that we're seeking. So uh, boundaries and encouragements boundaries and um, the positive side, uh, the development of skillful states. And it's not like we're trying to you know, become the perfect personality uh, in this process of abandoning unskillful states and developing wholesome states. Um, you know, we're not trying to be the, the most uh, charming or lively or popular person. Uh, with all sorts of you know, appealing uh, qualities and um, just you know, sort of like that uh, textbook uh, life of the party or you know, most absolute wisest person that everybody admires and uh, praises and appreciates. Um, the personality, that, the personality isn't what gets liberated. Um, we can't expect to be that, expect to attain that level of, of perfection in the pure uh, world of uh, how we present ourselves or the, how, how it all manifests. But we can develop uh, a peace in, in, the, uh, in the mind, a peace in the heart um, that does transcend uh, the normal ways of, of suffering that we find ourselves in and to be free from that. So 
So there's this Noble Eightfold Path that uh, works by helping uh, in many of its aspects to uh, develop uh, these qualities uh, that we find uh, to be skillful and to abandon the ones that are unskillful. And it's kind of working in two directions. The uh, precepts that we follow uh, and the ways that we restrain uh, ourselves from doing harm uh, and acting in ways that uh, create difficulty for ourselves and for others. Um, that's kind of working from the outside in. We have these um, boundaries that we set up for ourselves in terms of how we act, how we speak. And uh, we let it, we adopt these, even though the impulses may still be strong to speak or act in ways that are unskillful. Uh, but we create this boundary where we say, no, we're not going to do that. And we see the effect that it eventually has in the mind. At first, it's, it's difficult and there's a struggle because the impulses are bubbling up and trying to burst forth in terms of something, some habitual way that we speak or act. And it's hard to restrain that sometimes. Uh, and so it's, it is a training in patience. Uh, but that's working from the outside in because eventually, as we develop those habits, then the mind starts to settle and, and we start to see the underlying tendencies or the underlying causes that cause them to bubble forth in the first place. So working from the outside in. And then the other side um, of developing positive qualities is kind of like working from the inside out. We start to uh, develop uh, wholesome qualities like generosity and, and kindness and compassion. Uh, on the inside. And then those work towards the outside too, so that uh, it reinforces the more skillful ways of expressing uh, ourselves uh, through, through body and speech. So it works in, in those, both of those directions. One of the aspects of the uh, Noble Eightfold Path that, this, you know, that we've been working on as a community uh, fairly recently is, is the factor of right speech. So I thought I'd say a few things about right speech this evening, because it's really so important, um, particularly in a monastic community or in a uh, household, householder's life, um, as our practice develops and as we become more sensitive um, to the qualities of mind and those that result in uh, more peace and freedom, um, you know, we start to abandon, hopefully, some of the uh, grosser actions uh, that lead to harm and suffering, you know, like killing people, <laughs> things like that, uh, stealing, those kinds of activities that, uh, that are uh, upsetting to the mind. But speech is a real difficult one for, for many of us uh, in the monastic community, in the household life. And it's a place where sometimes the obstructions of the heart, the defilements of the mind, uh, uh, more easily uh, come forth, bubble up, manifest. So it's really important uh, to pay uh, close attention to, to our speech. Uh, and we spend a lot of time in, in community here trying to, to work with that. 
And classically, um, again, there's you know, both development uh, or restraint of unwholesome kinds of speech as part of the right effort around speech and also the development of uh, wholesome uh, qualities of com- ways of communicating and being with other people. And classically, the, uh, the four courses of, of wholesome speech or skillful speech are presented in the uh, format of restraining from those uh, four courses of unwholesome speech. So that's where we're starting. We're, we're starting with restraining uh, the unwholesome uh, speech patterns that we can find ourselves in. So the first uh, of those courses that we're trying to abandon uh, is, of course, lying. We took the precept tonight, uh, the eight precepts tonight. Uh, and that uh, third precept, uh, second precept of, uh, no, I'm sorry, it's the fourth precept of not lying, undertake the precept to refrain from lying. And how harmful it is when we intentionally try to deceive uh, other people uh, for some gain of our own or uh, from some way of protecting ourselves. Uh, and we, we tell a conscious, deliberate lie. That's the kind of the harshest form of, of uh, that form of speech pattern, a conscious, deliberate lie. And the pain that that produces, the tightness in the mind, the regret, uh, even if we feel justified uh, for some reason, just having to remember it is, is our karmic consequence, if you will. Not to mention that if we do that with a regular habitual uh, pattern, then, then people will learn very quickly that we're not trustworthy. Uh, and we start to attract that kind of energy around us. Uh, associating more with deceitful people uh, because they're the only ones who you know will uh, be around us so it's a it's a real trap and I think probably most of us are uh, you know, pretty good about um, avoiding doing that kind of very deliberate very conscious uh, lie uh, if, if it's something we think we can get away with it I think most of us here have trained ourselves uh, to not have to not to transgress that uh, precept very often in its grossest form, but it's also true that you know the mind is slippery. Uh, we've got what uh, Ajahn Amaro often refers to as the uh, the inner lawyer, uh, presenting all sorts of arguments about why something might be justified to to shade the truth around, um, and we sometimes get fooled by that, uh, that defensiveness or that inner voice that's looking to avoid some sort of blame or some sort of criticism or uh, subtly seeking to get something that we really think we want through some sort of uh, slip of mindfulness. Yet the intention to deceive is still there, although it's not extremely conscious that the impulse to shade the truth uh, in, a, in a more subtle way, uh, can easily emerge um, through pr- self-protection, self-defensiveness. And our training is to even uh, to refrain from doing that, even at its most subtle level. You know, I've often uh, told the uh, story of in my early monastic days, as I was 
starting to get a little more sensitive to my own inner obstructions and habits of uh, finding myself oftentimes entering into kind of defensive speech patterns if I felt somebody was blaming me for something um, or if I felt kind of uh, guilty about something um, to just finding myself you know speaking in kind of defensive ways too quickly uh, and uh, saying something that was maybe not quite a, a deliberate lie but was an av- kind of avoiding some something, you know, a, a way of a pattern of speech that was kind of not quite fully honest in a way of deflecting the attention away from me or uh, just not wanting to own up to something. And also defensive patterns around exaggeration. Uh, you know, it's not really a super intentional lie to, to exaggerate something. Uh, but, it, you know, something like, uh, oh, you know, I've told you a thousand times not to do that. Well, no, I really haven't told you a thousand times <laughs> to do that, maybe a couple of times. But just how exaggeration becomes a speech pattern that uh, isn't quite truthful. So I made a, a determination when I found myself just doing that too much and regretting it both of those things, um, to actually make it a part of our weekly acknowledgement confession, or not weekly, but uh, bi-weekly as monastics when we do that before we chant the Paddy Mocha um, with, another, uh, with another monk, uh, to just bring that up and bring that to surface. I mean, anytime I'd kind of spoken defensively or too quickly, even though it wasn't a deliberate conscious lie or exaggerated the truth, just to make myself aware of that pattern and the difficulty with which it caused caused me. And I found that very useful. Uh, and Because as you go along in your practice, even the, the, those subtle impulses in the mind are disturbing, uh, they're agitating. Uh, and they're also not pleasant to be on the receiving end of. So the lie, the, the precept against uh, lying or the unwholesome course of speech of, of lying uh, can be both gross and, and also very subtle and we train ourselves to to steer away from that the uh, second unwholesome course of action uh, is uh, learn or is is harsh speech so uh, we make our determination to refrain from harsh uh, uh, and angry speech and all of us know the, uh, the destructiveness of engaging in that, both on the receiving end and, and, and on the giving end. Um, so it's a hard one because if we're feeling an impulse uh, of anger or irritation, um, there's an incredible release of energy that we can feel when we act on that. Uh, and it lasts for about a second. <laughs> And then the regret happens, uh, if we have a reflective mind at all. You know, there's a release of the, the pent-up energy of anger or irritation, but then uh, there's the result, uh, the damage that's done, and the regret that comes from that. So it's a, a way of, again, training our mind towards uh, a more peaceful uh, expression. Um, and, it, you know, 
it's obvious to us when it happens to us or when we do it to others uh, and think of it later, you know, the, in, in its gross forms again. But then there's also the, the subtle forms, uh, you know, where we're feeling some sort of irritation, but we're together enough to kind of not blast out at somebody. But maybe we say something a little bit snarky or, you know, a little sarcastic or passive-aggressive, you know, kind of framing something that you're really kind of annoyed with somebody in some way, but you say it in kind of a, uh, a, you know, kind of a sweet, uh, sweet way that uh, isn't really all that sweet, passive-aggressive speech. So just being aware of that that pattern too, and that that's that is harsh speech in a certain way, uh, a little bit more restrained, but uh, still resulting, you know, people pick up on that energy even if you say it in kind of a cryptic way. You might just cause people to say, "Well, I wonder what they were really feeling about that." That sounds kind of kind of strange, and inside you you know that dissonance yourself, and that's disturbing. So we work to abandon letting go of that restraining. Again, it's a form of restraint. And sometimes that's uncomfortable to just button our lips and and refrain from saying something. Uh, But if we can kind of muscle through that, then there isn't nearly so much regret. We still live with the reverberations in our own head, but uh, at least we haven't unloaded it on somebody else. The third uh, course of uh, unwholesome speech um, would be uh, what is termed sometimes like malicious tale-bearing or um, gossiping about uh, other people, uh, oftentimes in a, in a very unskillful way, uh, as a way of mm, gaining support from somebody else or uh, trying to bring somebody else down um, by talking about them and getting people to side with you, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, that's a, that's a very painful uh, experience, particularly if you've uh, drawn other people into it and uh, the effects on uh, the person that you're talking about can sometimes reverberate to them, and it just creates a a very unpleasant state of mind. So we try and refrain from talking about other people uh, in in an unskillful, angry way. And it's, you know, that's difficult too, because particularly you live in a community or live in a family, and somebody uh, does something that's particularly difficult or annoying or a habitual problem, and and you find yourself trying to, to, de- to deal with it in some way. And oftentimes, uh, it, you know, we find ourselves talking to somebody else about it. And, and there is, a, um, there is a, a reasonable precedent for going and talking with somebody about a difficulty you're having with somebody else. If it's done with the intention of just venting a little steam or getting another perspective in a way that might be helpful uh, to letting go of some of that annoyance or irritation and 
also helping to create a situation where you can help the other person uh, in a skillful way rather than just dumping on them. But one has to be really careful to, to question one's motivations when going to somebody else uh, and talking about uh, the person you're having difficulty with. And is it just to, you know, subtly gain some sort of uh, uh, camaraderie with this one person uh, while at the same time dissing the other? Or is it genuinely looking for uh, some skillful means to, to deal with a particular situation? So just to question one's um, motive in, in talking about other people. And then the fourth uh, unwholesome course of action, uh, un uh, unwholesome course of speech, um, would be uh, what's uh, called uh, frivolous speech, um, or just kind of mindless nattering. Um, and it, uh, it has a wonderful uh, onomatopoeic quality in the Pali language. The Pali word is sampapalapa, which uh, when you do it, it sounds exactly like that, <laughs> sampapalapa. And um, it's just that kind of slightly anxiety-based nattering uh, pointless, pointless speech uh, that you, you know, can find yourself engaging in to, to fill an uncomfortable moment or a moment of uncomfortable silence, uh, just trying to babble away to fill up a, a bit of time, a bit of space. And it usually doesn't go very far, and, uh, and uh, people you know, find themselves just politely listening and, and then trying to move away as quickly as possible. And it just it takes it takes up unnecessary energy, and you know it's, it's hard because society doesn't really tolerate people being together uh, in silence all that much. But it's uh, something to be aware of and see the energy drain of kind of constantly rattling on about not much of anything. So these are the you know the the classic uh, forms of unwholesome speech that we try to abandon. We try to restrain ourselves from uh, getting in, engaging in. We try to set some boundaries around that uh, to see more easily what the energies are that are coming up from below, deeper in the mind, that propel us uh, to engage in speech in that way. Uh, and that's where we start to uh, be able to see more clearly these these patterns uh, that are you know, embedded in there, and and the anxiety, the the uh, unpleasantness, the agitation that it brings up in the in the heart and the mind, and to realize that we don't have to do that. And then we can also spend time really trying to develop the, the positive aspects of speech, because speech is so powerful, and it can do so much good as well as creating so much harm. Uh, it can do so much good in terms of uh, supporting people, helping them to develop skillful qualities, 
expressions of kindness and appreciation uh, can be very uh, beneficial uh, to those around us. And harmony, uh, group harmony. The Buddha often talks about the importance of uh, harmonious living together. Uh, and uh, good speech, right speech, can be very powerful. So the, we don't actually uh, encourage huge amounts of, of silence. The Buddha didn't actually encourage people to be go through long, long periods of not speaking. Uh, and uh, because speech can be very useful, uh, sharing the teachings, sharing our uh, understanding of the of the path, uh, and supporting others through through kind and uh, generous, helpful words. So there's that aspect that is very uh, positive. And giving full attention to people, uh, that's, where the, that's where we can really start to develop uh, these positive qualities of right speech, is when we fully attend uh, to people around us. It's so easy in, in this world, this, you know, with rapid communication and rapid data, and multitasking and uh, emphasis on efficiency, uh, and productivity. Uh, it's so easy to get wrapped up in our own world and getting the tasks done that need to be done. Um, and it's easy to uh, ignore other people uh, because our agenda is so full and we, we place so much importance on, on that that we neglect that aspect of being uh, fully, fully present for other people much less ourselves. So making that a, a conscious goal, I think I, I, you know, I'm certainly working on that a lot myself, uh, you know, and you can, you can see it, say, when you're, you're busy, you're sitting down in your office or uh, working on your computer or doing some sort of communication and somebody comes in and says, uh, can I ask you a question? Or, you have a moment, and the part of you that's still attending to what you're doing says, yeah, 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 and you're still sitting there typing away or reading away or doing whatever you're doing, and that person starts to talk, and you're still doing what you need to be doing, but not really paying full attention, maybe half listening, and you kind of miss some things, and you're still doing your thing. And I realize sometimes when I do that, you know, I catch myself doing that. Okay, is, there, is this something I can just set down for a moment and really turn towards that person and, and listen to them? You know, actually, what are they actually, you know, fully listen so that I catch every detail. If it's not a good time, uh, you can feel free to say, hey, uh, just give me two minutes, I've got to finish this up, or can you come back in five minutes so I can, you know... Uh, uh, listen to, to be, be fully here for you. Um, so it's good just to, to bring that kind of mindfulness to are you really attentive and receiving that person fully or do you need a few minutes to, to finish a task and then set it down, turn towards the person and say, okay, well, what's, what you got going? Yeah. And to listen uh, and be fully present. And how much more enjoyable it is for everybody, not just the person who's uh, talking to you, but yes, really noticing the quality of mind 
of being fully attentive to somebody and what they're saying. Uh, there's a certain uh, peace uh, of mind, uh, a widening and opening uh, and a receptivity and, and a connection uh, between yourself and the other person that isn't there if you're just you know, continuing to do what you're doing and hearing half of what they're saying. So it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a, a, a very wonderful, peaceful, beautiful state of mind to engage in, in full attention, full listening to someone. And if it's, a, if it's kind of more of a difficult issue or something that feels a bit contentious or um, you know, something that's a little uh, problematic, um, or even if it's just something that is a, a task that you might have a different opinion on or a different take on or a different idea about than what it is they're presenting, how easy it is to uh, get into uh, thinking, it, thinking about what you're, gonna say, what you're going to be saying next rather than listening to actually what it is that they're saying. You know, how many times do we find ourselves, you know, I'm quite guilty of this, of planning out what it is that we're going to say as soon as they're finished. You're giving them the space to talk and to say something, but uh, you're not really listening to what they're saying either just by the virtue of their, their, their words or maybe what the underlying feelings are. You're, you're planning out your uh, response uh, before you even know what it is that they're saying. So really trying to just quell that process of planning the next um, thing you're going to say and just setting that down for a moment. You don't have to be ready to respond as soon as they're through. There can be a time where you hear, you digest, maybe you were uh, wrong in terms of what you think it was that they were going to, stay, going to say. Uh, and uh, that just opens up a lot more communication and, and uh, compatibility. And then it's okay to take a bit of time to respond, to, to let there be a little bit of silence while you kind of process it and think of what the appropriate response would be at that, uh, at that next moment. And how easy it is to kind of sometimes, if somebody's stumbling or searching for words, um, and can't quite come up with it, how easy it is sometimes to assume that you know what it is they're trying to say and to fill, it, fill in the blank. So somebody's saying something and they're pausing for a moment while they consider what they want to say and you, you fill in with the word that you think that they're going to say. And maybe sometimes you're right, but probably a lot of times it's not quite exactly what it would be if, if they were to come up with it themselves. So I find it's a really telling practice, but a very useful practice to just, you know, clamp my mouth shut while somebody's trying to come up with the word or the phrase, because oftentimes it's different from what I was thinking that they might say. And just to give them that space to, to process and come up with how to express themselves. So a lot, it takes a lot of patience, but it, uh, it also opens up a lot of uh, space between oneself and another person in the, in the course of a conversation. And then just to keep on reflecting, you know, about the ultimate goal of these kinds of communication to establish understanding, uh, compatibility, harmony, uh, and uh, developing sense of, of, of trust and well-being in our, our relationships.
And we do this because it's just a much more pleasant place to live from. Uh, the mind relaxes, the mind opens, uh, and uh, serves as a basis for really getting to understand the, the patterns that we've grown so accustomed to responding to uh, and ways of being in the world. And it's a reflection on um, what it is in, that's deep in, our, deep in our hearts, deep in our minds, that keeps us from uh, relinquishing, letting go of old habits uh, to realize a real, uh, more stable sense of, of peace and, and inner uh, confidence that how we are in the world uh, can be a benefit not only to ourselves and to others. So, you know, the Buddha's path is, is just to kind of say it again, that it's, it's a way of working both uh, from the outside in, in terms of uh, restraint of the unwholesome uh, ways that we act and speak, and, and developing the, the inner qualities of, of patience and kindness and well-wishing and, and, and the wish to, to keep uh, harmony uh, in our, our broad community. Uh, and to see the effects that that has in our in our hearts and our minds, uh, which serves as a, it's not just a training. Buddhist pr- practices is not just a training of meditation uh, to to develop mindfulness and and um, concentration or collectedness, uh, but it's a it's a full on body, speech, and mind approach uh, to ending the suffering that uh, we find ourselves constantly engaged in. It's an eightfold path uh, that um, through right right understanding uh, and uh, the right courses of action and speech and thought uh, and um, the development of the the inner uh, contemplative practice uh, all come together uh, to result in this understanding uh, of how to uh, be a complete peace. We have that opportunity. That's what the Buddha tells us is the potential is for the complete uh, peace of mind that's um, independent of uh, the world around us. And we are able to um, be with whatever it is that comes our way. Uh, not that it will always be pleasant uh, as we develop the path, but uh, that we can uh, roll, with, roll with the world uh, in a way that uh, is one with, we are with complete peace. We have that potential. So just a few thoughts for uh, this evening. I'll leave it there for tonight.